okay, what's grosser? The teacher on the toilet peeing or possibly something different while eating danishes and sweating through like three layers with danishes in her pocket or the witch and the green slime that comes from her dying body? The teacher. Easy. That's gross. And she's real. I mean, I wish that I was eating danishes, but not on the pot. Not on a school pot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> not on any pot. Not in a pot while wearing pantyhose and old grandma shoes. And then she drops the papers on the floor of the bathroom tile, never washes her hands. And she's leaving half-eaten food in the cafeteria. She is fucking disgusting. I'd be eating the pudding and the cookies and the rolls. Ooh, those are so good. All right. When I said the redhead, the fat redhead from the Sandlot, I wasn't talking about that kid. Told you. Yep. I am so scared. I think I'm going to eat some marshmallows to sate my fear. I'm scared of eating marshmallows. Because of the pajamas? They just gross me out. I like the pajamas, but not the insides. Fucking disgusting. Gross. Good evening, match scratchers. Pick a patch, scratch a match, and brew up from a wicked weed and repulsive root, a horror-laden batch. Follow the drying leaves to the dying fire-lit clearing. Here, we'll recite chilling tales and ignite cooling coals. Lob another log upon the fire. If you claim you're unafraid, you're a goddamn liar. When midnight chimes, they will meet, submitting sick tales to scare. Master your fear, stoke the heat, embrace the glowing orange glare. Match scratchers, never fear. Dr. Red Devil, with a ruh, ruh, ruh. And falsetto, no mister, accent on the toe, are here. Lock up what will easily scare. Sequester that which you'd rather not share. That foreboding fireside rustling in the thicket was likely only a bear. Like Blake and his leper colony, and John Carpenter's The Fog, by campfire we conspire. Tonight, can you hear the bagpipes over the deep dark grave of Blind Paul when Sean types? Or are those wails, moans, and pleads from the bookish babysitter's book brought to adjust the attitude of he who gripes? Good evening, match scratchers. When midnight chimes, we both will meet. Podcasting slick, sick tales to scare. Master your fear, stoke dying heat. Embrace the coals glowing orange glare. I am falsetto, no mister, accent on the toe, and this is Dr. Red Devil with a ruh, ruh, ruh. Welcome to Campfire Scary Tales, where our campsite will affright till morning light. If you once enjoyed, still enjoy or will enjoy henceforth and in perpetuity, Nickelodeon's very own Are You Afraid of the Dark broadcast that terrified tot and teen alike in the early 90s, then you will feel right at home on the Forsaken Rocks atop the speaker's stone throne 
while occupying temporary, nocturnal space in this chillingly convenient clearing, where fellow match-scratchers meet to pour tales of terror upon an open flame. These terrifying testimonies are far from tame. The most unnerving, unsettling, and upsetting scary tale wins the game, and striking matches along with striking deeply into your core fear gland proves their aim. If you're soon too frightened or anxious to sleep, if you intend to scream but can nary muster a peep, if your once spry movements retard to a lumbering creep and becoming a slave to your fears, you have but yourself to blame. Today you are tricked or treated, depending on your point of voodoo, with our fifth submission, Tale of Terror. Between midnight and first light, strike a match and a new batch of dismaying and anxieties not allaying tales hatch. The goal is to the last told tale outmatch and leave the loser to the victor begging for a rematch. With that match scratchers, sleep deeply and remember to your bedroom window latch. Podcasted for the auditory approval of the Match Scratch Society, we whisper through the mic our fireside submission sometime between midnight and first light of Campfire Scary Tales Submission 5. The Bookish Dreamy Matchstick Machine Society. Babysitter or Nightmare Transmitter. Read to Escape. Type for your life. Medieval Machine and Evil Extremes. Dream Machine. Bookish Babysitter. I remember these episodes well. The Patter of Rain. The Banging Shudder. This spooky green glowing type is worth the hype. More a ghostwriter than a typewriter. For you will read to escape and type for your life. Paul may be blind, but he can hear the rain patter in his shallow-ass grave. And if you seek his resting place, you're in a bind. The Tale of the Dream Machine is the fifth episode of the second season of Are You Afraid of the Dark, as well as the 18th episode in total. Dream Machine, July 17, 1993. When I was young, I used to dabble on my parents' typewriter. It was heavy as shit, and it really seemed expensive. It's no wonder that I believe in Stephen King's misery, at least in the film. A typewriter was used to kill one of the characters, possibly Kathy Bates. But a typewriter was heavy, and it was kind of nifty. But compared to a keyboard, it's no contest. I never... My parents didn't have a typewriter. Or if they did, I never saw it. I've always liked typewriters, though. They're interesting. They're cool. There's now a Lego typewriter. Yep, I want that. And I believe a lot of them are probably worth quite a bit of money because of the nostalgia factor, or maybe they were lingering additions, or perhaps they're all that remain of a certain product. Yeah. Well, I don't have a typewriter memory, but obviously this one involves writing a story. And I used to get, now that I'm older, in hindsight, I know it was anxiety, But I used to ask to go to the nurse because my stomach would hurt so bad every time the writing lady would come to prepare us for the toss test, which is the state, for those of you non-Texans, growing up, that was the state standardized testing that we had. And so we had this writing block for a hour where she would give us a prompt in a certain type of composition. And I hated it. I don't know why it gave me such anxiety. I'm not sure. Maybe... I had actually seen this episode and I blacked it out. And that's why I had anxiety. This is your elucidating excursion into nocturnal, appreciative as it is secretive, 
submitted, and approved trivia. This features the first on-screen kiss between characters. There was almost one in the tale of the Midnight Madness before they were interrupted. Now, hold fast. Midnight Madness will be a future Campfire Scary Tale. The only time someone other than the story's creator was the one telling it to the Midnight Society. It was Kiki's story, but Gary read a typed version of it since she had laryngitis. Question, Dr. Red Devil. Do you like when they mix it up like that and they break script just to kind of keep things interesting? Yeah, plus in this one it works because at the end it all comes full circle. It's inspired by Stephen King's short story, Word Processor of the Gods. That is now two Stephen King references. I wonder if there will be a third. Joel Gordon, who portrayed Billy, would later reappear in the series again as Josh in the tale of the long-ago Locket, which will also be a future Campfire Scary Tale. Why? Because it's good. And it's also got the guy from Boy Meets World, as you recall. Will Friedel. Tim Post, who portrayed the black robe figure. You might recognize him, probably not, as he's completely cloaked in black. He would later appear in the Fire Ghost episode, which we have already covered, and it was fucking fantastic. Dr. Red Devil, as she is a doctor, was quick to notice a couple of continuity errors, which she will now read. Oh, yeah. I was so proud of myself. Okay. So, Sean is typing a story about the Halloween dance, and on the typewriter, if you read the story that's showing on the paper, he's writing about Blind Paul, but that's a story that he hasn't even invented until a few scenes later when he begins to write it out. So I was so pumped about that. When he first uses the typewriter, he starts typing the Halloween dance, but then he ends the story. Uh, you see it's clear that it is trapped that he has written, but he doesn't start that until later. So basically the point is- They fucked up. They, yeah, totally. So I'm sure the kids didn't mind though. We are now at the campsite of Fright. Technically, Gary is reading for Freaky Kiki's written story. This has never happened before. Kiki is late, but we will give her a pass because she has laryngitis, which I've basically had for a few weeks now, and she found a typewriter in the attic, and she decided to type her story on it, so Gary will read it. But beware, once a story is written, it no longer belongs to the author, but has a life of its own, she whispers, submitted for the approval of the Match Scratch Society. I think that a lot of these prologues the moral of the story that they're kind of alluding to at the beginning, I think some of them are rather profound. I'm impressed with these teenagers' ability to speak such eloquent truths. The drinking game for this one, every time Sean is seen in a ridiculously clashing optical illusion blend of tie and shirt, and or any time the teacher stuffs her fucking face in a disgusting manner. If you go the teacher route, you will be sloshed. Make no mistake about it. The Tale of Terror. Okay, this dude is pretty cool. He is the friend of Sean Hackett. He sleeps in class. That's how cool he is. Did you ever sleep in class? No, I never slept in class. I was always at the front of the class. I did that once. I was sitting in the back of the class, and it was an early morning class at community college, and I would nod off on occasion to the dry, boring-ass professor. And finally, after doing it three times or so, I saw on a paper that I received back on the top left was written, sleeping in class will not be tolerated. <laughs> That's like in the movies. Yeah. So take a drink, though, because this teacher is eating a donut immediately, and the donut looks very tasty. That would be me if I was the teacher. I'd be eating donuts, kolaches, name it, I'd be eating it. It seems Sean is a struggling writer, and he can't quite hack it. 
See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Johnson. Yes. This is like the gal in Ron Burgundy. JJ. She is the cock of the walk. She's the belle of the ball. Anchorman, Ron Burgundy, Veronica, whatever. I can't remember her name. Veronica Corningstone. Yeah, it's the same thing. This girl is like a hottie. She's desired. And she's way out of the league of most of her potential suitors. She also has very penetrating eyes. I will say she is probably one of the most attractive people in these stories that I have seen thus far. The teacher reads, I am sent with broom before to sweep the dust behind the door. I like the rhyme. The student's assignment, write a short story, motherfuckers. Topic, you pick, but it has to be two pages long. That's a lot when you're in middle school, but getting into high school, I mean, come on, two pages, that's like 15 minutes or less. Now go away, she says. I like this teacher. She's sassy. Again, the tie shirt combo, yikes, on Sean Hackett. Optical illusion, take a drink, because he looks terrible. Well, very 90s, I'll say. Now there's a danger sign on the stairs, it says danger, of Sean's house. Immediately, his best buddy starts walking up the stairs, because he's risky. He's like a tomb raider, as it were, and he falls through. It's kind of like the scene in the film Frequency, which is a good one. But he falls through and they find this nook under the stairs that has a lot of disturbing information. There's an old typewriter. There are macabre clippings, newspaper clippings from Yore about a missing author and some mystery surrounding this state of affairs. But the ham radio and frequency was found under similar circumstances. October 13th, 1932. New mystery novel by James Ellington, writer and inventor. I like this part of this story because it reminds me of laughing in the dark when they're looking into Zebo the clown and what befell him. But it also takes me back to the tale of the prom queen when they're looking at the microfiche microfilm in the library that seems to be very close to a country club that's close to the cemetery. National is the brand of the typewriter that Sean decides to start using. And suddenly, as he's typing, there's a Halloween dance. The music is very Are You Afraid of the Dark, if you will. It might as well be their standing score music or theme music whenever there's something happening before something terrifying. Give Count Sean and his pearly sharpened whites a chance at the Halloween dance. You have to admit, Sean looks a lot more dashing as a vampire than he does typically. Yeah, I mean, he's not a looker. I'm sorry. Sorry, Sean. But he is a thinker, and that thinking will actually get him and two of his amigos in trouble. But Jennifer Johnson is like a gypsy or a princess, possibly a Persian princess. I don't know, but there's a crescent moon on her mask, which leads me to think she's a Persian princess. Nightmare on Elm Street vibes this episode gives. Ah, because of the dream state. The dream state and also kind of the idea of a tulpa where they start thinking about it and it seems to give it life. And so in that process, I feel like it's similar to Nightmare on Elm Street. It gives, it gives the story power when you believe it. And so I think there's something to be said about when you read it aloud, you're breathing literal life into the story. I like that Sean Hackett has a motorcycle phone in his room, and I like that he has a clap-clap to make the lights go dark. Okay, that's a kind of a scary scene. I think it's a scary runner-up scene, the bite at the dance. Mm -hmm. When he snaps his fingers, the music slows to something along the same tempo of Lifehouse or something. I like when she says, <laughs> I'm just being strange. <laughs> <laughs> she's sweet for being so pretty. Maybe she doesn't realize how attractive she is yet, but she will. But this is really scary because she's cornered in a dark corner of this dance, and out of nowhere, he leans in to bite her neck. And it's creepy. It ends suddenly, 
but it's really kind of setting this surreal tone. And I appreciate how they're able to make you feel weird in the dreamlike state. But I think that's the scariest runner up. And it's actually pretty solid acting, I think, in this episode. What do you think? I think Jennifer's the best actor. And then what Sean's friend's name? I that, forget. Jake? Good- or no. Anyway, his friend. Honestly, I think Sean is the weak link. Billy. Wow, I was way off. Billy is his name. But that's okay, because we're about to get into racial profiling aplenty. Notice that the Asian life form, Sean, is entranced by and entrenched by his studies. He's taking his studies very seriously. Everyone else is kind of blowing them off. Interesting. Trapped by Sean Hackett. This is a damn good story. It's for being two pages. It has a strong beginning. It's about a guy trying to find this grave of blind Paul at night in a cemetery. It's very disconcerting. It's very gothic. And I like that. I also love the scene that follows. So as he's typing trapped, Billy is dreaming. What a dumbass for falling asleep at this moment. But now he's in a cemetery with a flashlight. He hops the fence. He seems to have a well-versed hop of the fence. And here lies Blind Paul, who was buried alive. As far as anyone knew, it was Blind Paul who was lying below. This is a terrifying premise. Imagine if you were hanging around the cemetery, there was a hole previously dug, a grave, and you fell in it, or your friends pushed you in it, you hit your head, you passed out, some dirt falls on top of you, so the next day they have the service, they lower the coffin on top of you, dead, never to be found again, most likely. Absolutely insane. Don't you think? Well, it's not a fate I'd want, that's for sure. I believe the scariest moment is when Blind Paul cloaked and hooded in his cloak and hood, and the muddy dirt being scattered atop the coffin scene while Billy is in a coffin, banging on the top, screaming for help. I think that's absolutely terrifying. And you will get to see it twice. Once when he's dreaming, a second time in reality when the story is read by the fat fuck teacher. I wrote it, you guys dreamt it. You see, Sean is quick on the take. He's realizing the power of the dream machine. He also gives it a name. He calls it a dream machine, which I could see you laughing because you'd be like, oh, come on, that's that's too easy. But and the mystic vapors, they come up off the typewriter. They do. That's how you know. This show likes to use green. Green is the chosen medium for color. It happens also with the twisted claw. It changes green in the green tale of the twisted claw. Green is evil. That's the bottom line. Okay, he writes it, you dream it. If you read it, you will live it. Those are the rules. I also like that you like that his amigo, Billy, wants to terrorize everybody. He's like, we've got the perfect tool. We can mess with everyone. What a monster. That would have been you, don't you think? Maybe. At least the people I feel had had wronged me. Cloud Nine, Divine Intervention. This is a very awesome scene. It's very clever, too. See, he's Asian and he's clever. It's the way of the world. But he and Jennifer are now dining on Cloud Nine. He types up a story about talking to her in these heavenly clouds so he can present to her exposition that will educate her on what's happening in the most benevolent way. I like the dove trick. Beautiful, but scary. She does a lot of good acting just with her facial reactions and the nods of her head. Then he gives her a kiss on the cheek out of nowhere. Sorry. Out of nowhere and says a Canadian or Canuck, sorry, sorry. weird. She smiles because she thinks that it is endearing, of course. But again, he has a rice rocket uh, motorcycle phone in his room. You are so wrong. They use the term rice yeah. rocket in the film Fast and the Furious. Oh my the Fast God. and the Furious. And, or actually, there's also a crotch rocket if you prefer. I know you didn't prefer a crotch rocket. That's so true. I said rice rocket. That's what we grew up with in high school, and it still has alliteration, and it is still applicable. Now, 
He tells her on the Cloud Nine situation, Divine Cloud Nine, to give him a call so they can talk further. She does. But I like how this is edited because it makes you linger for a minute. Is she going to call? She does. Three o'clock. Turn those papers in, says the Danish swallowing teacher. The papers. Turn in the papers. Now the green glow stick dream machine is growing mighty bright and green. This means trouble is about to ensue. What did we just realize? What did these characters just realize? You don't have to be sleeping. So this is the moment where the teacher starts reading shit, the trap story by Sean Hackett, and you don't have to be sleeping. So if you're wide awake, just like with Jennifer and Sean, they get transported to the Halloween party. They have the realization that there's a pronounced difference between typing it and reading it aloud. And that is interesting. Just imagine how cool of a film this could have been if it was like 90 minutes long. They have a lot of material here, but of course they have to hasten it along. So reading equals screaming. It is a very cool plot. I met someone once who said, this is their favorite episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I never really got into details as to why, but I can see it because it is a very good story. And of course it deals with literary mechanics. Again, Jennifer Johnson, good actress. Two Danishes grabbed by this fat teacher. Correction, three. She grabs three Danishes and puts them on a small plate. So disgusting. I also like the trail that she leaves of proverbial crumbs in her wake. I like that she took a huge bite out of one of the Danishes and then just leaves it. <laughs> and it's what I call Doddzilla instead of Godzilla because she's Mrs. Dodd. Oh. You know what? I had a Mrs. Dodd as a math teacher. I'm hmm. just remembering that. Godzilla. Godzilla. She was real skinny and hippie-ish, though. So. Now this is where things get absolutely insane. She's reading the stories in the bathroom. She's peeing, we hope, and eating danishes or pecan rolls or whatever the fuck they are. I don't know. But she's eating while she's sitting on the toilet reading the students' papers. Yeah, that's disgusting. And then she drops the papers on the bathroom floor. Nev Campbell, Sydney Prescott from Scream would have something to say about not keeping your guard up in the bathroom. She's also been eating on an exercise bike, like Peloton, if Peloton was a thing then. And she's wearing a jumpsuit, and she's sweating through the hoodie of the jumpsuit. Disgusting. At least she's working out. She's working off those danishes. These greasy breakfast confections are also in her hoodie pockets. Disgusting. But because Sean Hackett can hack it, he has Jennifer read aloud a revision story, which basically says they never found the typewriter and none of it ever happened, etc., etc. And magically, Billy is brought back. They're all standing there, happy and content with their recent activities. And then Miss Dodd pops into the class and she is a little taken back, even though she's put away like six or seven pastries in the last 15 minutes. It is a good ending. All are satisfied, especially Miss Dodd with her overindulged gut. And there's no looming terror. It is actually a very benign ending. All are safe. Now we're back at the campsite. As Gary finishes reading Kiki's story, David says, It was great! Betty Ann asks what happened, but notices suddenly Kiki is gone. Frank finds a paper written on the typewriter, <laughs> and it reads, The headless warrior chased down each of the Midnight Society one by one until they were too tired to run. Frank just laughs. He's like, yeah, right. Gary laughs, and so does Betty Ann and Kristen. But then they get up one by one and leave as Gary puts out the fire. That's actually one of my favorite post-story reading endings, because this pall of fear is shown on all of their faces. The fire is put out by Gary. Typical conclusion of the conflagration. 
Smokey the Bear would be satisfied. Now it's time for the oral moral or the unholy grail of the tale. If you have the hots for a green-eyed gal whose first and last name start with the same letters, it is less creepy to stalk her on the cloud than to invade her dreams and invite her to an actual dreamscape cloud. Of course, they didn't have the cloud then, but you get my meaning. Stuffing your face with danishes whilst riding a bike is not a passable attempt at recycling, rather an act of caloric and bodily dysmorphic lunacy. Some stairs are meant to be stairways, gateways, to heaven, or even terrestrial ascension. Others lure you deeper down, into a basement of hell. Either way, heed stairwell warning signs. Lastly, instead of inexplicably seeking the open dark grave of a blind man you don't even know, might we suggest simply sending a condolence card to their next of kin through snail mail? Wouldn't that make more sense? Red Devil, Doctor, how much did you enjoy this episode and why? Okay, I'd probably give this one maybe a six. I did like it, but in the grand scheme of things, and if I'm holistically looking at the episodes that I enjoy, this one's lower on the totem pole for me. What could have spruced it up a bit for you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I did like the concept, and I do agree that it was scary, the whole thing of potentially being buried alive, but... Did you think that maybe the tone was a little uneven? Maybe... Like, not necessarily campy, but because obviously I love that werewolf episode, Mm. but I don't know. I guess I wasn't scared enough, maybe. Okay. The logs may be wet, but are you drunk yet? Is your horrifying future set? Today, Ricky Winter will read to escape. But how the fuck can you escape what you've read or are currently perusing? Is Belinda a real witch, or is it just a duplicitous doppelganger switch? The Tale of the Bookish Babysitter is the sixth episode of the third season of Are You Afraid of the Dark, as well as the 32nd episode in total, February 12th, 1994. Now, it's my understanding that you enjoyed this episode more than Dream Machine. Yeah, I really did enjoy this episode. And Billy's hilarious. When I was young, I enjoyed the shit out of having babysitters. They were always female, they were always about three years older than me, and they were usually cute. And the reason I liked it was because when I was young, I demanded a captive audience. When you were young? What are you talking about? Because I had the energy like the Tasmanian devil then, and I had what I called a financially forced captive audience. And interestingly enough, while I don't believe I watched this episode in the company of a babysitter, that would have actually been quite apropos, I did watch at least two episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark live with a babysitter at that time. Well, you just gave me an idea to start making you pay me to listen to you. That would be awesome. I actually have a babysitter story where there was, I have this friend who I was in Girl Scouts with and she had an older sister and she came over to babysit me and my brothers. She brought the book Jumanji with her and we literally acted out all over the house. Like as she was reading the book, we acted out Jumanji like we were pretending. So, I mean, this is a pretty much a literal memory that goes along with this episode. Other than the fact that, of course, animals weren't coming out like they were in Jumanji, but we were using our imagination. I don't see any credit given. The only time I've seen credit where a contemporary filmmaker has given credit to Are You Afraid of the Dark? Specifically, there might be others, but this is all I've found. M. Night Shyamalan gives credit for The Sixth Sense in a connection to the episode The Tale of the Dream Girl. He gives credit to that as prompting Mm, him to arrive at that idea. 
And so I wonder if like this episode possibly led to Jumanji, right? It's possible. I don't know exactly when Jumanji came out. Yeah, I don't know either. 1995. Yes, this came out before Jumanji. And this was released in February of 1994. So it is possible. This is your elucidating excursion into nocturnal, appreciative as it is secretive, submitted and approved trivia. At the end of this episode, the Red Book presents a title and author that was previously blank. The words are The Dark Tomb by Ricky Winter, demonstrating that the young man learned the lesson taught by Belinda. The book Belinda first opens is called The Dragon by Candy Close. Now let's do a little reading here of some of the dialogue where you're Belinda because you have the bangs and the spunk. And I'm Ricky Winter because I eat big bowls of chips and I'm an asshole. Go. Especially when you don't get to watch your TV. That should do for now. For now? What do you mean for now? Make it go away. Sorry. Can't. You can't? You are into the stories now. You have to finish them. But since you burned my books, you're going to have to use your imagination if you don't want to end up being her dinner. What do I do? I'd finish off the story. Fast. But the book's gone. Then make it up. Make it up? Sure. Go for it. It's your story now. Belinda, there's a... Night in your bedroom and a ghost in the hall. I know. And then, of course, Betty Ann and Sam and Tucker. This is a very good prologue, as previously mentioned in the prior episode. We tell all kinds of horror stories about demons and ghosts and stuff. And no matter what a story's about, there's only one thing that makes it really scary. What's that? Your imagination. Again, Betty Ann has like the most soothing, mellifluous voice. If you're really into a story, you become part of it, and you start to imagine what horrible thing might be sneaking around the corner, ready to pounce. And you start to wonder what you'd do if you were the one facing the monster. It's your imagination that gets you into a story, and unless you're very careful, you might need that imagination to get you out. The Campsite of Fright. Betty Ann is the storyteller. Another resplendent Betty Ann episode. Drinking Game. If you want to get fucking wasted, imbibe your libation of choice every time Ricky is reading aloud a passage from a coveted, cursed book. If you want to get blacked out drunk, take a swig each time he acts like a four-star asshole to his mom or the babysitter. Frank is trying to help Sam with these logs that she's carrying, but by being a condescending, chauvinistic jerk. Babe. Stop trying to be a guy. <laughs> it's funny how he calls her babe, and then he gets so incensed when she politely says no. Stop be trying to be a guy! Well, she drops the logs on his foot. Ouch. It's actually a rare example where a woman is exercising physical violence first. thought that was interesting. Good. You go, Sam. Making a mess, Frankie. Well, Frank does not like to be called Frankie, as we will instantly learn. Betty Ann, who sounds very Canadian as well. My stories about stories. Your imagination, that is. We have to ask, what is scary? The Tale of Terror. Belinda is that babysitter for kids who hate babysitters. This is spelled out immediately. I call her Little Black Riding Hood, as she's not in a red hood, she's in a black one. But it's really a tweed cloak, as it were. I think she's cool as shit instantly. Didn't she make a lasting impression the second you were introduced to her? Yeah, and her hair was cool as shit. The book is screaming that she drops after she leaves one of her baby sits. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is going on? Why is the book screaming as it is turned open? 
And yes, cool hair has Belinda, some of the sharpest, longest bangs in history. Now this guy, Ricky, is a lot of chips for this tubby lardo. It reminds me of the redhead in the sandlot. The catcher? Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say me, honestly, when you said redhead, so... No, red red is, hair is involved for sure, but no, he was a smartass, loudmouth, and he was chubby, and he was great. That's what came to mind, the sandlot. Mom, I'm 12 years old. Now, he's watching TV, some sort of The Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead type program. I have imagination. Basically, the mom explains to Belinda, who arrives promptly, he's going through a phase. And then Belinda suddenly says, I'll fix that. Mom's like, wait, what? She's like, are you leaving yet? She basically kicks the mom out of her own house. And it's fucking hilarious. Ricky explains as he's asked by Belinda about his shirt, as it has a sword on it. And it says the word severance. It's a metal band. And then he cuts himself short. I don't want to know you. (laughs) Now be careful. She plays a trick with the remote. The hand is quicker than the eye. She wands it and it disappears. Where did it go? She's magic. She's a real witch. I think it's actually an act of cruelty. Belinda, you're being very cruel because you know he's a fat ass. And if you take his remote away, he's never going to walk to the TV to turn the knob. Ever, never. Man, he says, you're the strangest. Aloud, please. So she brings this bag of vadimicum, which is a Latin term for something that you carry with you at the ready, like a journal or a diary. But she values these books and they all tell a story. And I like that it's just the two of them in the living room. And I like what subsequently happens. This is a scarier episode than Dream Machine, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot more going on. I definitely like this one better. He starts reading aloud, as she prompted him to do. She's also very sure of herself, and she's also very sly. She also seems to have patience, because while she get a little bit peeved at this twerp, she maintains a strong front. But he starts reading, late on a dark, moonless night, and the lights are actually flickering in the home as this is happening. But because he's a dumbass, he doesn't even realize it. And then there's banging on the door. This is creepy, okay? I thought the Dream Machine concept was creepy, but this is why we couple these two episodes together. Because right. Dream Machine deals with bringing a story to life. Same thing here. Right. Well, now we have the scariest runner-up scene. When Ricky starts reading and shit starts happening for real, the flickering lights, the rapping on the door, but really when it segues, when he starts walking down the hall and the door opens behind him and it's a tall ghostly figure in like a black outfit, scared the shit out of me, still does. But I also think one of the scariest runner-ups is Belinda the Witch Switch. And it reminds me of several episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, where things are not what they seem, and someone is not them. Believe me, I know boring. Well, we believe you. Now, the king's sword on his shirt will have a significant significance, as we get later in the story. But this shit that's happening behind him, when the hand is reaching out from the darkness, as he's reading another book. But Ricky isn't the most literate cad. He struggles with the word melancholy. He struggles with it hard. I mean, at 12, I might have as well. But Belinda saves his ass, pronounces it for him, and he gives up on that book because it's too many words. I think his intelligence or his lack of intelligence was insulted, so he throws that book away. But she gives him some very fortune cookie advice. Once you start a book, she's kind of smirking, you should really finish it. I don't know why he's not listening to her by now. Again, she totally ninja'd the remote control, okay? And then this is probably one of the best rejoinders in the episode. Good thing you're not me. (laughs) What a dick. Yeah, that's like every 12-year-old ever. Yeah. So the door opening behind him happens now. Nope, 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 nope. Like that Jordan Peele flick. Nope. Now he's in his room. He's annoyed because there's a shadow over his little... I don't even know what it is. It's like a... It has to be a Nintendo. Like the old original Nintendo. 
That, Game that's Boy? what that looks Yeah, Game Boy. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, maybe, but it looks like even like a, a poor man's version of that. I don't know. Because I had a Game Boy, and that's not what it looks like. Maybe it's a Canadian Game Boy. I don't know. But he's playing this stupid game, and then a knight attacks him, similar to the episode The Tale of the Pinball Wizard. But Ooh, love that one. Can't wait till we get there. I mean, we'll get to that. But this knight cuts his pillow in half, and that pillow is filled with feathers. I don't think all are, but some are. Because remember, remember you go to the store at HEB in Texas, and they would be doing that like that bamboo pillow shit. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I always wanted one of those. Look at what you made me do, he says right before this. He's a dumbass. This cloaked holy man looming and hovering towards him, absolutely terrifying. But as terrifying as it is, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's kind of a three-way tie for scariest. I think the night attack is very scary. I think the creepy guy that looks kind of like the knight in The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, I think that's very scary. But then there's one last scene at the end involving a little girl that's also very scary. So who knows? Lots of scary. That is what the point is. Three-way tie. But when he comes back into the living room, Belinda, or so we think, is burning pages of a book in the fireplace. Why? What the fuck is going on? How Hitler-esque of her to burn books. I love the way this misdirection is done. It reminds me of other episodes when a character is not who they seem. The episode Full Moon, Fire Ghost, Magician's Assistant, that really had it, which we've already done, and Sorcerer's Apprentice. People just are not who they seem. Well, she says they came from books. Okay, it's a doppelganger witch. This is cool because he thinks he's talking to Belinda. She's burning pages. She encourages him to do so. He starts doing the same. But then he can hear Belinda's voice on the other side of the door where he promptly placed a chair. And she's like, what's going on? I need to get in there. So she busts in. And then immediately what looked like Belinda now looks like, well, it looks- A man witch. (laughs) Well, I was going to say it looks like Lady Gaga in my opinion. But she's like a retarded, grotesque version of Belinda, and she's a witch. And obviously, it was a misdirection, where she was trying to destroy the books so that the story could not revert back. This is another layer of the story, because you now don't know what is and what is not reality. Use your imagination is the advice that Ricky is given. Now there's an axe in the door. Violence is occurring. These ghouls are trying to get to them in the kitchen. That reminded me of The Shining. There's your third Stephen King reference in one episode. The axe through the door. Here's Ricky. Just kidding, it's Johnny. And then I like how he tries to cheat the system, and Ricky's like, okay, well, if I can make it up as I go along, then I'll just go grab my Uzi. And she's like, afraid not. (laughs) That was hilarious. What a little shit. She's like, it doesn't make sense in this story. That might be my favorite line in this episode, but it doesn't make sense in this story. So now he's looking at this book that has blank pages, and it somehow leads to this dungeon. Basically, as he is experiencing this story, the words are printing on the page for the first time. But he has, don't forget, he's got his sword and his severance t-shirt. A knight disappears to the rubble because a knight is attacking him and this really cool set piece of this dungeon, which could have just been some old cathedral or something in Canada. As you know, there's a shit ton of those. We've seen some in Canada, Quebec City to be precise. But much like the silent servant who kind of melts into the ground out of his own scarecrow cloak costume, once he reveals his sword shirt that says severance on it, The knight kind of falls into the ground like the silent servant's death. But then there's this little girl. Mr. Sir, please help me. Well, Ricky maybe is not as dumb as I thought. He's reading this and he's figuring something out. She seemed out of place or from another story. Put down the book. The little girl is in fact the doppelganger witch switch. Dun dun dun. Because they never properly dealt with the witch. So this is very plausible that she would reemerge. Okay, he slashes her with the knight's sword. We get green goo slime 
coming out of her thorax, she's dead. Just like the woman in white in the pilot of Supernatural, where she just kind of disappears into this puddle of water or whatever. In my opinion, it's a similar death. But this ghost that Ricky will ultimately be anointed by reminds me for real of the night in The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones. He chose poorly. Ricky chose wisely, possibly, and finally following Belinda the Babysitter's advice. The story's almost over, and there's mention of willful ignorance, and the mom comes home. Ricky has actually been reading with Belinda, much to his mom's, well, astonishment, really. We were just reading Mrs. Winter's The Dark Tomb by Ricky Winter. And then I also love this line by Belinda. Oh, how much do I owe you? Asked the mom. I've already been paid, Mrs. Winter. See, she has this smirk, and she's actually a really good actress. I don't know if she's had a promising career or not, but she really makes a good display here in her spectrum of slyness, cleverness, and, well, she's really what I would call omniscient, just like a good perspective in an author writing a book. She's a white witch, using her powers for good. But she wears a tweed cloak. It's very interesting. We learn that there's no other copies of this book, The Dark Tomb, at the library. It was a first and only edition. But that's what I mentioned when I said possibly scariest scene when the girl, hello, mister, sir, when she morphs into the witch. Very scary. We're back at the campsite. There's a story left for Tucker because Tucker is a bugaboo and he's always getting in everybody's shit. So the story is left for him and he reads it and it's hilarious. She set me up. She set me up. God, he sounds like a Muppet. He's the little brother of all of them, really. He's like the annoying little brother. And Frank hates him. The fire is put out by Gary. Smokey the bear would be satisfied. There's nothing remarkable about this fire affair. I would say the ending of the story ends on a positive note. Now it's time for the oral moral, the unholy grail of the tale. If your babysitter's sharp blonde hair is combed forward, then they are probably backward and will turn your son's world upside down. Just because you act sarcastic as shit, wear plaid over a rock and roll t-shirt, and eat junk fucking food. Don't mean you're Dean Winchester. From Supernatural, of course. If your babysitter can make your TV remote disappear and stares at you with her penetrating eyes when giving advice, I recommend you do as you are told. Beware of small female foundlings in dungeons, particularly when they are out of place from another story, and especially when they call a 12-year-old sir. Red Devil, how much did you enjoy this episode, Doctor, and why? I'd say this one would be a solid nine for me. I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining. It was scary. It brought back that nostalgia factor. Really, the only thing I didn't like, the witch, I thought was kind of gross. But other than that, effectively scary, though, I'll say. For being 22 minutes, I think it's a solid plot. And they took it in a creative direction, or three. The logs may be wet, but are you drunk yet? Is your horrifying future set? I can tell you that for consistency purposes, I enjoyed the Dream Machine more than this episode when I was a kid, and I still enjoy Dream Machine more, I guess just because the typewriter is kind of the glue holding it together. And I like Sean Hackett. I was rooting for him and Jennifer Johnson. Do not easily scare as we declare this fifth two-parter episode of Campfire Scary Tales concluded. Dr. Red Devil with a rah, 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 and I have, in fear-inspiring machinations, colluded and terrified your insides, unless it is we who are deluded. Collect your new batch of match-scratcher sheep, find a cold rock seat to warm, poke with your makeshift spear the waning fire, roast those mellows before they exceed their shelf life and expire. Master your storytelling and your fears upon this pyre. 
and await with deathless, breathless anticipation your next Campfire Scary Tale with Campfire Scary Tales Submission 6. The Twisted Calling Prank Clawing Society. Ding Dong Witch and a Telephone Glitch. Crank Calls and Leg Break Falls. Phone Police slash Twisted Claw. Can we agree that we both love both of those episodes? Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to rate those against each other if we're doing that. That's tough. Mm -hmm. That is a good, that's one of my favorite combos yet. Phone police, twisted fucking claw, get your shit together, prepare yourself for one of the greatest duos ever. Your host, that's falsetto, no mister, accent on the toe, and co-host, Dr. Red Devil, with a rah, rah, rah. Until next time, match scratchers. It's the most fun at this secluded park when swapping campfire scary tales after dark.